You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. Hey, Matt. Hello, hey. Matt. Hey, how we doing? Pretty good. Sarah's, Wonderful. Sarah's tired. <laughs> <laughs> Call me out on the N- podcast. <laughs> Nine-day what? Nine-day... Wilderness first responder training. That's pretty awesome, though. That's impressive. Pretty intense. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we don't just look at rocks. We save yeah. lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or at least Sarah does. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Actually, yes. one, but that's another yeah. story. <laughs> <laughs> really wanted to emphasize thanking the UK Office of Research Communications for helping out with this podcast over the last year, uh, particularly Ben Corwin and some of his colleagues who did did editing for us. Um, it was just really nice to have them there to do that, answer questions, and, and help out with some of the technical aspects. Um, so thanks to them. Um, but we have a, a communications officer here at the survey uh, a social media person, communications person who's going to take on editing for us. Her name is Rebecca Frazier, and she's awesome. <laughs> and uh, she's going to going to take over the editing part, so we'll do it all in-house. So thanks to her, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, on this podcast, I think we all, we, we do a good job of embracing the nerdiness we're all good at, the, the cheesiness, the, 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 the love for geology, um, and how we, pr- how we present this. Um, that's not to say this is bad. I think we do a good job, but, you know, we got, we got that vibe going, and I think hopefully our millions of listeners <laughs> appreciate, appreciate that. So that's why we decided to, to go um, with this topic today, which is Schist Geologists Say. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's good. Oh start gosh. off with a pun. Oh start man. off with a pun. Uh, schist is a metamorphic rock, um, but that's a common, you know, yeah, sort of phrase in, in in our world. In right? our world. In our world. <laughs> so we're going to talk about schist geologists say, and it could be a word, it could be a concept, it could be a phrase, maybe funny, maybe a little more serious. But we're going to go around the room and and just talk about these things. Um. Before yeah. we get into that, oh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. lighthearted one. Yeah, good, we're good one here. Yeah, we were kind of heavy for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> now we're <laughs> a bit um, before we get into all that, we have a guest to help us out, Meredith Swallum. Uh, Meredith is a research geologist with the KGS. She's a member of the geologic mapping section. She got her BS and MS here at the University of Kentucky in geology. Uh, she moved to Texas and worked a bit in oil and gas industry and is back in Kentucky getting her Ph.D. here at U.K. in the Earth Environmental Sciences Department. Uh, Meredith's a fairly new employee at the survey. And she does a lot of cool, interesting stuff, varied interests. So, Meredith, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. Um, tell, us, tell us just a little bit more about what your interests are, what you're doing, projects, stuff like that yeah for sure um first of all thanks so much you guys for having me on it should be pretty fun to talk about some of this stuff um like you said my name is meredith i did my bachelor's and master's at uk 
focused on kind of a broad array of research topics during that and then switched gears a little bit, moved down to Texas, worked in oil and gas for a time, decided that wasn't probably for me long term because I wanted to do a little bit more science uh, as a whole. So moved back to Kentucky to start working on my PhD. And now I do kind of a mix of things. So everything from geophysics to remote sensing, primarily in my job at KGS, I'm a mapper. So I use LIDAR data to make surficial maps. So where do we see water-driven sediment versus gravity-driven? And what does that mean for you know the stakeholders that need to access those maps? Um, but yeah, do kind of kind of a mix of things, have done a whole lot of stuff, worked with a lot of different types of people. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I've found that's been consistent is I often need to take a step back when I'm talking to people that I work with and think about what words am I using? Are these clear? Who's my audience? Because it's not always a room full of geologists. Um, in oil and gas, most people that I worked with were either folks out on the rig or drilling engineers, people who don't no. necessarily use the same lingo as us. I've done some teaching, and it's the same story. Not every student is going to be familiar with the terms that you sling around. So it's important to think about what we're saying. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And we touched on some of that with our Unpacking Science Communication episode. But, I mean, it is, and we're going to have some fun with this one, but it is a very important to understand that audience and understand words you know that we think are Everyone should know, but but they often don't. Never done this this style before, but <laughs> I'll just I'll, I'll say from the get go. Okay, schist geologists say I, I didn't want to focus on on puns. Geologists lo- love puns. There's a lot out there. You can look them up on the internet. I listed some here that probably people have heard. They're kind of funny, um, but you know I didn't want to you know do an episode on those. You've probably seen the T-shirt. All geologists have their faults. Yeah. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's gonna be cringy. <laughs> <laughs> a little cringy. Just happens. Yeah. Geology rocks. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of that. How many? How many times have that yeah, someone yeah. said that to you? That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you see a rock, don't take it for granted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've probably seen this at meetings, uh, t-shirts or posters. Stop continental drift. Reunite Pangea. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> and the, if you see a rock, don't take it for granted is good because everybody thinks yeah. that it's granite. Yes. It's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, okay. So we're not, we're kind of not going to do those. Um, but what I've asked uh, everyone to do is, is um, come up with your word or concept or phrase um, that just fits into this kind of nebulous box we've designed here for this episode, and we'll just talk about it. Uh, so, Meredith, why don't you start us off with, uh, with schist geologists say. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you have to talk about? Yeah, I've got a, got a few things. Um, this was actually kind of hard to come up with when I started because I realized I just use terms all the time. Mm-hmm. And right. because I am not my audience, I don't actually know always what's making sense to people I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask my parents and my sister oh, and, that's a, good one. Great and idea, um, yeah. a couple of professors who have 100 level students so it's like what are some of the words that you hear people say all the time and you don't have the heart to tell them that you don't know what they're talking about <laughs> um, so the first one on my list is actually a really good one at KGS and it's karst yeah yeah well I'll just say I'll maybe let Sarah jump in 
but real quick, I mean, Karst, yes, definitely a good one. A word we all use, it's very important to this state, and a lot of people think a lot of different things about that word, mm -hmm. right? They think it's, I don't know. Go, Sarah, why don't you jump in on that? <laughs> sure. I mean, Meredith, did you want to say anything before I jump in? I mean, I am a geologist, and all I know to say about karst is it's a type of topography usually associated with sinkholes, but mm -hmm. I think there's way more to it than that. <laughs> so you, sure. can, you can elaborate on that for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so karst is a landscape or a type of terrain um, characterized by soluble bedrock that underlies that topography or terrain. Um, and because the bedrock is soluble, it's the specific solution, dissolution processes in those type of areas that produce very specific uh, landforms. And so caves, sinkholes, springs, um, these are all common landforms you would find in a karst area. So for your soluble bedrock, like limestone is the most common, um, and that is easily dissolved uh, by calcium or by carbon carbonic acid carbonic acid yeah my brain is not working right now <laughs> easily dissolved by carbonic acid and that carbonic acid so that would just be like your soda water or your soda pop um it's it's a pretty like dilute non-aggressive acid um but that just comes naturally from rainwater falling through the atmosphere that water picks up carbon dioxide as it falls, um, and that carbon dioxide mixes with the water, then that water falls and, and sinks um, through the soil, which has lots of like microbes and things like that also produce carbon dioxide gas. And so that carbon dioxide gas mixes with the water to make your carbonic acid, which reacts with your soluble bedrock, your limestones, your calcium carbonate, so it dissolves it and enlarges the natural like fractures or bedding planes in the rock um, to create these like landforms and I, that yeah oh i was gonna say i mean i think i think the misconception quite often is that karst is one thing right is is a sinkhole right. mm -hmm. or is a flooded sinkhole and it's not right. not a, an entire landscape i always that was my I think education it was mm -hmm. it was karst topography. You mm -hmm. call, I called it yeah, that. Or or landscape or karst landscape. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. Um, but but it's we important here. Well, we throw around the term, you know, is it forming karst? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. hear that a lot, right. and I don't right. know if that's appropriate or not, but it's karst. certainly easy to say. Abs right. That's yeah. Exactly. It would be yeah. more like, is it forming karst features? Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. common like karst topography or karst landscapes are because that water is able to infiltrate to the subsurface there's an absence of surface water and surface streams surface rivers in karst landscapes mm. because they're yeah. underground yeah. Uh, instead of at the surface yeah. so that's yeah um all right doug what was what was first on your list yeah schist sure geologists say uh yeah <laughs> um so mine was uh rock versus mineral versus crystal um and i thought of it because well it's so basic um but it comes up a lot yep um uh, in kentucky <laughs> we we have a um state rock which uh is really a mineral and we have a state mineral which um <laughs> is really considered a rock so you know 
kind of jumping off of that, um, well, it's kind of it's an interesting one for our state, but but it also it comes up a lot. But a rock is, I mean, it's a really simple definition at its most basic. It's an aggregate of minerals. Um, but then a mineral is is a pretty uh, not it's it's just more involved definition. Right. It's naturally occurring, inorganic, yeah. crystalline, solid. So it has this ordered internal arrangement of atoms, defined physical and chemical properties. There are lots and lots of minerals. There's probably about twelve basic ones that make up most rocks, but there's like thirty five hundred something identified minerals based yeah. on what I was just reading. Um, is it all minerals are crystalline, but not all minerals exhibit natural crystal structure, right? Correct, yeah. So a crystal, so every mineral has this crystalline structure that's made up of this arrangement of atoms, but a crystal is sort of an outward expression of those atoms. So, you know, when you see a beautiful piece of calcite that has that sort of rhombic look, that's that's an outward expression of its chemical arrangement that goes throughout that whole mineral. But a rock is simply one or more minerals put right. all together. Right. Um, but then you get a little pedantic about it. Uh, you know, you, you get in the weeds because is obsidian a rock? Obsidian is a volcanic glass. And glass is technically not a mineral because mm. it's not a structured... Mm -hmm set of atoms obsidian was in the igneous rock tray in geology yeah. 101 for me but i think we just kind of <laughs> let it go because yeah. it's a naturally occurring thing that yeah. you know comes from a volcano from yeah. quickly right so um yep good one i mean it's it's those terms get mixed up all the time yeah yeah they do and um you know it's important and our legislature legislators um i I think they had good reasons for doing what they did. So coal is, we consider that as geologists, a rock. But in the mining world, it's really considered a, a, a mined mineral. Right. So it's the state mineral is coal. And yeah. then the state rock is a really pretty uh, quartz mineral called agate. And technically, that's also a rock. Because <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's one micro, or more minerals. Yeah, micro crystalline quartz. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, good one. Yeah. yeah. Another Maybe fun fact any. there: um, ice is a mineral, technically. Oh, yes. Love it. Like yes, just yes. from those different categories: yeah. solid, naturally occurring, inorganic. Yeah. So snow is a rock. That's a that's great right. one. Mm. I yeah. love that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jason would really agree with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Monomineralic, polycrystalline. Yeah. Metamorphic rock, I believe, is his That's yeah, what he goes catchphrase. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone, go back and listen to Glacier episode. We <laughs> yeah. talk a bit about it there. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really, that's a great one because it's, it's perfect. I mean, it's it always stumps intro yeah. students too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is ice a mineral? <laughs> no, no. Well, think about it. <laughs> it's more of a mineral than obsidian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my my list is maybe a, a bit different. Um, I just. I picked some things. I picked two things that I just thought were fun terms that I hadn't thought about in a long time, and I picked one a little more serious. My my first one is gray wacky, because it's a funny, fun word to say. And we we mentioned obsidian, which is igneous rock. Gray wacky is a sedimentary rock, and I'm sure if, you know who who you know. I think we all maybe had a chuckle in 
in sedimentary rocks lab when we were looking at our tray and one of the rocks was named gray wacky yeah um just like oh that's really wacky I'm, right. I'm, yeah yeah mm. there was yeah all those <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so i loved it and i was like huh just another little thing that made me glad to be a geology major even this so small but um Gray wacky. It's a sedimentary rock, primarily composed. Uh, uh, it's primarily a coarse-grained sandstone consisting of poorly sorted angular quartz and feldspar and other mineral fragments um, in a finer-grained matrix. Commonly exhibits graded bedding derived from submarine turbidity deposits. And um, what 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 made me sad when I put this on my list was my my geology dictionary said it's an antiquated term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not really used anymore. Really like, oh used. no, gray wacky has yeah. gone. Like, so you're like the old man at the outcrop. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a gray wacky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, dang it. <laughs> so uh, you have to dis- define turbidity. Okay, right? uh, turbidity <laughs> is a submarine. Uh, a submarine. Um, deposit. So, so I, I picture turbidity deposits are like a like a submarine landslide, right? So sediment uh, flowing down a steep slope off a continental shelf, where the sediment's already churned up, and um, it falls to the you know, you know a lower spot on the seafloor. Yeah, like undersea landslide. Undersea landslide. Yeah, that would be a turbidite. Turbidity is like sediment within the water, so right? Yeah, suspended, right, suspended sediment mm-hmm. in the like water. So when it rains and your rivers turn brown, they're turbid. It's turbid, yep, mm-hmm. yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And saying turbidite implies that that turbidity current's deposit has turned to rock. So right. Yeah. If right. we put ite on it, it's rock now. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So that, that's where the cross bedding comes right. with, the, with gray wackies. Uh, okay, next, Sarah, you want to, oh. Mer- me? Mer- Have you done one yet? Uh, I answered cars. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to, let's, okay. let's go to your next one. Okay. Uh, the next one on my list is lithify or lithology. Yes. So pretty much anything that comes from that Greek root word lith, which means stone. So when we say something is lithified, it's gone through some process and actually turned to rock. So if we have you know, sediment of some sort on the earth's surface or you know, loose sand on a beach that's not yet a rock because it's not one cohesive material. After enough time has passed, maybe we bury that rock, put a lot of pressure on it, it'll get kind of squeezed into into the rocks that we know, and that's lithification. Yeah. Lithology, same root word, that really just means rock type. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a broad catch-all term that we use. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how often I used it until one night I was talking to my parents at game night and I was just saying lithology all the time and my mom stopped me she goes no one knows what you're talking about (laughs) that's really good because yeah I throw that term out a lot Mm -hmm. lithology oh yeah it's when we describe our geologic maps which is a fairly complicated concept you're like well it's they're mapping the lithology and you didn't make I didn't make it any simpler by saying that but yeah, it's the different rock types. Um, well, th- and think about how many times we talk about environments of deposition in Kentucky. You know, Kentucky's rocks used to used to be deposited in an environment that's much like the modern day Bahamas, and, and people, you know, got to wrap their minds around that. And we just we we are sort of used to saying lithology, right, and and how to get um, lithologies from 
certain environments of deposition if we're talking about sedimentary rocks. So it's it's important to clarify. Yeah, throwing that word around mm -hmm. for sure. So, Mara, you you taught, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, do you find students had trouble with phology and lithophy and mm -hmm. understanding those yeah, concepts? Yeah, that's one of the most common terms that you just kind of have out there on all sorts of assignments and stuff. And yeah. you'll ask students for things like a rock description. You'll say, give me the lithology, give me the grain size, give me the whatever your list is. And they'll they'll kind of stumble over that one. They're like, "What are you yeah. What are you asking for? What goes into lithology?" Yeah. And it, sometimes even when you explain it, say rock type, they'll mm. say rough or eh, sandstone, or, uh, and yeah. not get into even right. more of the specifics. So yeah, yeah. Even more than just that basic definition, you have to be really clear about what it is that you're looking for under that umbrella. Good, good one, yeah. um, Doug. What's your next one? Um, let's see. I, <clears throat> my next one is, um, I'll do unconformity because yeah. it's an interesting concept that probably in trips up students in geology class. I know I, actually my very first geology class, I remember thinking, oh, this is a weird concept. Oh yeah. But you know, it's an unconformity is a surface between two layers, two rock layers that um, is a break in time between the when those rock layers were were laid down deposited um, or whatever so yeah um, so there's some break in time it's usually um, we're talking about erosion um, and so the simplest one is like a disconformity where you have rock layers are laid down usually rock layers are laid down pretty horizontally um, you have some period of erosion that occurs and then another set of rock layers are deposited on top of that um, and there's other types of yeah. unconformities but it's just that concept of a break in time between two rock layers and, and it can be um, millions and millions be, of years yeah I, right it's not an insignificant amount of time right. it's you know, and as geologists, we like to go put our hands on unconformities because, yeah, they can represent, yeah, millions and millions of years. I mean, the, the a famous one that people like to put their hand on is out west. Um, at Red Rocks? Yeah, at Red Rocks yeah. or, you know, anywhere out west where you have, you know, really, really old, um, usually granitic-type rocks, and they have sediments on top of them. And that gap in time that you put your hand on is about probably a billion years or something. So Amazing, yeah. Yeah, so it's... The, um, I think the analogy I used, I think I may have said this in the first episode when we introduced this podcast, was missing pages in a book. Yeah. If you think about um, a, a book uh, and the pages are layers of rock, some of the pages get ripped out sometimes. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's cool how geologists figure out that uh, that's what that is. Yeah, definitely a word that we're used to, but you know, the layperson wrapping their head around it, it's hard. Yeah, and 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 being unconformable means something completely different in the <laughs> non-geology yeah, world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to ge it's a very specific geologic term, um, but uh, a really important one, and was really important for the study of geology and time because um, some of the first geologists discovered unconformities and 
it was sort of their evidence for deep time. So yep. um, they're they're super important yep. in geology and kind of a neat concept. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you got yeah. you want to throw one out? Sure. So this goes back to some feedback we got on one of our early episodes. Um, I think maybe the Red River Gorge episode. We were throwing around the term fluvial, thinking that you know people understood what that meant, and in fact, they do not. And that's yes. uh, so. I thought that would be a good one to address on this episode. Um, so fluvial just means like associated with rivers and streams, um, and so you can mash that together with other terms like karst and have fluvial karst, like we have here in Kentucky, which is really like speaking to that connection between surface water and groundwater because a lot of our surface streams that do exist in Kentucky have some contribution from springs, karst springs. Um, And so you have your groundwater feeding your surface streams, which is an interesting thing. You can mash that with like glacial processes. Glacial fluvial. Fluvial, yeah. Glacial, eh. (laughs) <laughs> glacial fluvial or fluvial glacial yeah. um so yeah that is fluvial fluvial is rivers and streams i like that one yeah yeah good one um all right next on my list is accretionary wedge yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm g- going back to some of my master's degree days that's um, a hard one to explain it's uh i know <laughs> I'm sure we still use that term no oh. <laughs> we did no we um, a, an accretionary wedge i just thought it was a funny word again it's a weird word it sounds like it could be a a yard tool or someone's or a disease i don't know but an accretionary <laughs> <Disease>. wedge <laughs> is a gradual addition of new land to older land so it's part of the theory of continental growth um, by addition of sediment that scraped off a subducting plate at a subduction zone. So you have kind of uh, this thrusting action when you have subduction at a subduction zone. And when you have these plates sort of grinding against each other, one plate's diving down below the other, the oceanic sediment on the oceanic plate gets kind of scraped off and pinched against the more stable plate uh, during that collision, and that is called an accretionary wedge. Um, and I was like, Doug, Doug, there's some of these in the Southern Appalachians, right? And, or at least interpreted to be some of these in the Southern Appalachians. And I was like, how in the world people figure this out, right? That is incredibly complex process. They're really old. So especially on the Appalachian side, right, there's, it's not an active tectonic boundary now so it's like what what is going on here um it's just fascinating and complicated all at once and um it's sort of like when we talked about uh, terrains with ryan on oh, that on yeah. the on yeah. the uh, southern appalachian episode it's like don't say the t-word because terrains are complicated and how they figure those out so it's kind of like kind of like terrain t-e-r-r-a-n-e but um creationary wedge look at them on a geologic map they're wild and they're usually really large features, yeah. like continental scale yeah. features, right. not, you know, little tiny. Yeah. I think like a good way to visualize it for people trying to picture this in their heads is like the dump truck mm-hmm. that scrapes up a pile of dirt in front of it and it creates like this little triangle of dirt. And so this is like the plates scraping up a little triangle of dirt from the other plate. Yes. So 
Yeah. Yep. Like and it. and yeah, I'm just you know, just thinking about how mappers map map that and you try to age date them and f- figuring out where accretionary wedges fit into the overall story of uh mountain building uh mountain building events in different parts of the world. So it's cool. Accretionary wedge. That's throw it around one. throw it around a lot. <laughs> it's a fun term. I'm gonna start saying it yeah. on a more regular basis. Is accretionary wedge the same as an accretionary prism? Oh. So I, I think I learned prism. Yeah. I don't know if wedge was like Good the first iteration of that. Hmm. I think there's. I can see Ryan using prism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he likes a critical wedge. Oh, oh critical wedge is right. good. That's is the that one different? where you where you um, you demonstrate it with a snowplow, right? Mm-hmm. So because you can oh. yeah push. Well, Which is what yeah, I was trying to get at. Maybe it's not a dump truck. Maybe well, it's like the a dump truck's good for the sediment part, but yeah. the the critical wedge is. I think that's the it's the more deadly disease. It's area. way more deadly. <laughs> <laughs> Unchecked accretionary wedge progresses yeah. to critical wedge. Un- yeah, yeah. Yes. unfettered <laughs> accretionary wedges. Oh, I think that's as far as we need. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> um, okay, that was, that was my uh, all right, Meredith. What do you have? See, next on my list, we can piggyback off critical or accretionary wedge a little bit. Uh, mine's orogeny. Yeah, yeah. Oh yes. Is, just one of our fancy terms for any sort of mountain building event. So in the Appalachians in particular, I forget if it's five, six, there's several main orogenies, which just means times in geologic time where two continents kind of smacked into each other. And we have evidence of that remaining in the mountain belts themselves. So we have a continental collision and then the continents pull apart. Some time goes by and then there's another orogeny or the continents come back together. And we can actually work through that history. Yep. We throw out orogeny, orogenic event, mm-hmm. multiple orogenic events all the time. Um, you know, I can see how that's confusing for, I mean, it's a, and it's a basic important thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mountain building event, but it's a kind of a fun, weird word, you know, something we don't think of maybe confusing people, but it probably does. Um, yeah, good one. Doug, do you have another one? Um, well, the other one I wrote was weathering and erosion, um, which um, ge- we throw these terms out a yeah. lot. Um, you know, they're, it's part of the rock cycle. Um, when you think about rocks um, in their cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Awesome. Rocks and their cycle. <laughs> uh, you know, the... the, the the, the thing you learn, and I don't, my, my son just learned this in fifth grade or whatever, but, you know, rocks are uplifted, come from a melt, and then they erode, and um, they may get buried again, lithified. Um, they go through this whole process of right. recycling, basically. But, um, but erosion is the larger process of that, of loosening, dissolving, removing earth materials from its its place where it started to putting them somewhere else. Right. Um, and weathering is a very specific process in erosion that breaks down um, materials or we just say rocks um, that breaks down rocks that, that can either be physical or chemical um, processes. So you can chemically, you know, your yeah. Carbon, yeah. Carbonic acid is mm-hmm. a chemical process. Um, abrading that with other rocks is a physical process mm-hmm. or 
freeze thaw, that sort of thing. So I always thought of it as <coughs> weathering's the breakdown, mm-hmm. erosion's the removal, and carrying away somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds simple to distinguish, but it's yeah. not really. Well, I mean, and really, transport is the carrying away. Erosion's yeah. the whole package, like the whole process of weathering, transport. Um, and probably deposition. deposition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, the last one I had in my list was prediction, and mm-hmm. um, Meredith, Meredith and I talked about this in sort of prepping prepping for the podcast. Um, just how important of a word prediction is in science, mm-hmm. and um, an important word to untangle in science. Um, how we talk about what we know, how we talk about what we don't know, what's possible with understanding, you know, the phenomena related to earth processes, um, understanding how likely something is to happen, right? That's all can be part of prediction in some degree, but it's important to differentiate prediction, or I think what most people think of as prediction from the word like projection or forecasting or validating. Those are some other words that came to mind to me with with how we present what we know about the world. Um, so what are you, are you predicting something? What are you predicting? What context is that in? Um, is there an element of time with what you're predicting? So I don't know, you'll jump in anywhere here. Um, there's, you know, Earth has a lot of complex phenomena and it's a lot of chaotic phenomena and it's random. And so there are causes and we have explanations for a lot of these phenomena, um, you know, built on empirical evidence that help build our models that explain what we know about the world. And that's what helps us predict something. But I think it's, you know, on a rare occasion where we actually do a specific prediction about a specific event. Let's say yeah. earthquakes, for example. We talked about that with Seth in the earthquake episode, you know, earthquake prediction. So it um, doesn't mean that things are unpredictable. It just means we don't understand enough yet mm-hmm. or don't have enough data yet um, or just don't understand the physics uh, of, or nature of whatever it is we're working on i think that like the the phrase that comes to mind is like all models are wrong some models are useful Mm -hmm. i think that's the nature of prediction and what we do like when we use models to predict it's impossible to put in all the inputs for the different like environmental variables right and i think with predictions specific to you know geologic hazards or anything like that there's a component of time that i think we take for granted Yep. Um, specifically, you know, landslides, earthquakes. We can say there's a set of conditions on on Earth that makes it l- potentially likely that these kinds of things could happen in this area. We have no idea when in a lot of cases. And when you think of predictions in your everyday life, things like the weather, weather forecast is probably the biggest one people can relate yeah. to. There's more of a, a definite time window assigned to those. So to say that we're predicting some sort of geologic phenomena might freak people out a lot more because they're used to hearing 
on any given Tuesday, oh, it's going to rain today. <laughs> and look yeah. how upset people are when it doesn't <laughs> rain or if it <laughs> rains and it's <laughs> not mm-hmm. supposed to rain. Yeah, if, if you predict Absolutely. something, people take it as a promise. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. That's um, uh, both great points, yeah. And I don't think, I don't know if you mentioned this, but, you know, there's prediction and then there's um, there's uh, communicating risk, which mm-hmm. is something I think we feel a little bit more comfortable doing as geologists over, yeah, these long time periods that we're talking about and the inputs that we have into our models and things like that, that, you know, um, predicting or not predicting, but but communicating risks. Yeah. Um, you know, your your likelihood of something happening versus not something happening and right. say mapping that or telling people that that's that seems different from prediction. Yeah. And I think Seth hit on this in our earthquakes episode, but Yeah, no, um, it's a good point. Like it, it gets back to what Meredith said about a set, a set of conditions that we can say something about. So that's really prediction tied to probability. So I get, get back to geologic hazards like landslides or earthquakes, right? There's a probability that something will happen based on these kinds of conditions, right? So we can put a number to it. Is that a prediction? Not really. I no. mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a likelihood of some, that something will happen based on these conditions in what some we know. period of time in some period of time <laughs> yeah 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 like our our landslide susceptibility maps are are not predicting where landslides are likely to initiate they're predicting where landslides likely exist mm-hmm. and it's there's no element of time there so we use a lot of hill slope geomorphology data to to tell us that but it's not pre- it's not predicting anything and i've been try to be very careful and clear in communicating that and they're good they're good maps but it's you know it's not prediction the the really famous example are flood maps that you know have Mm -hmm. a time period assigned to these areas you know thousand year flood plain Mm -hmm. 500 year you know and people see that as a prediction but it's really a way to um communicate risk i just listened to uh npr all things considered piece on the sitka debris flow that happened in it happened in 2015 but npr just did a piece on it a couple weeks ago the debris flow came down in sitka alaska and it destroyed several homes and it killed a few people and so immediately there was this awesome response about getting some scientists up there doing some modeling collecting data and coming up with early warning systems and early warning, you're, you're a step closer, right? You're not given a probability necessarily. So it's, it's like with these conditions, this will happen. So it's, uh, it's a really good piece. I <coughs> recommend people listen. Um, but it's, yeah, need more data, need better computers. And it's a slow build to getting to where we can feel more comfortable with, with prediction. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's hard. Um, well, that was heavy. Sorry, heavy <laughs> Sorry to end on ending. that one. <laughs> 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 I have a few more. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, All right. Yeah, okay. And that's Breccia versus conglomerate. Oh, so. oh yes. Oh, I, yes. Breccia. 
So, I like this one. Yeah, breccias like your angular rocks that make up a new rock. Basically, you have some broken rocks, but they're sharply broken. They're not rounded, and then they're put together into a new rock with some sort of like cementing uh, matrix, I guess. And then a conglomerate is also uh, rocks sort of cemented together, but those are rounded pebbles. Flu- fluvial. Fluvial. So it mm-hmm. relates. It comes all, it all right. comes back. So. Those are a good one. Breccia. Yeah. Yeah. I like Breccia's it. good. Yeah. Yep. There's fault breccia. Yeah. Yes. It's hard to find breccias, I think. I mean. Depends on where you're at. Yeah. yeah we see a lot of conglomerates in Kentucky, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Um, I guess we, maybe we're a breccia like co- co- On that along the coast? Yeah. Like Out beach, west, beach breccias? Like you were saying. Yeah. Like fault yeah. breccias. Volcanic breccias, too. Volcanic mm-hmm. breccias. Yeah. 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 So the yeah. rocks were broken up, but not like transported enough that they were rounded during right. transport so right. like that yeah. fits into a lot of the different things that you guys have thrown out today like orogenies and transport super good one yeah. that's good that everything together yeah, yeah. let's end on that one <laughs> <laughs> all right hey all right meredith thank you for being here yeah that was fun. Um, thanks so much for having me yeah well uh, we could we should do this one we again. should do it again <laughs> yeah just yeah. go through the dictionary yeah <laughs> oh boy <laughs> yeah, start with a, <laughs> a, a and the site thanks everybody <laughs> thank you thanks meredith bye this podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Rebecca Fraser for technical support. If you have ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>